Good evening one and all and thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, let me start by thanking everyone who's been involved in putting our services together. It's been a truly outstanding effort and today we've gone back to two services each week so they've had to step it up and actually make these things happen. So again thank you so much. Please continue to pray for them. It's been a massive effort and they're all doing so very very well. We're back in Nehemiah tonight looking at chapter 8 and before we do that it's possibly worthwhile just touching on a few of the things that have happened happened until this point. So when we began Nehemiah, we learnt at the start that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was the king's right-hand man. He was in a position of prestige, privilege and comfort. And the thing is, as God calls him, he sacrifices all of that because he is first and foremost committed to God. Now Nehemiah knew God and he knew God's word and he was aware of the redemptive plan of God. He realized that God was going to bring a descendant out of the line of David who would save his people. And then when Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem, the fact that it was in ruins, he realized that there was no way that there would be a descendant unless the war was raised and Jerusalem became the great city that it once was. And so he took all necessary steps that he needed to in order to rebuild those walls and to get the king's favor in doing that. And he manages to do it. It's absolutely incredible. Despite all the opposition that he faces, external and internal, uh, he completes it in 52 days. And it's a bit of a miracle when you think about it and all the failed efforts that have gone on prior to this. The people are no doubt amazed at all this has happened. Think about what it was like for them. This representative of the king comes to them and they've had representatives of the king come before and halt the work. But this guy, Nehemiah, he loves the Lord and he works alongside them. He works with them, building the walls. And he's a representative who obviously loved and served God very much. He plays his role in keeping up morale, making wise decisions when opposition came and dealing fairly with all of the people when they were facing difficulties themselves. And all the way through the building, Nehemiah constantly reminded the people of God's hand with him, but by default, God's hand with them also. So as we come to chapter 8 tonight, we see a response by the people in acknowledgement of all that God has done. But before we get into that, let's just pause and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your presence with us. We thank you for the ability to be able to present the word in this way. We thank you for each and every person who is listening here this evening. Father, we ask that you reveal the truth of your word to us now. We ask that you'll guide us as we hear this word and that, Lord, your word will change us so we can draw closer to you. We pray this now, Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, the wall has been completed, but in many ways, the work is only just about to begin. These people are now at a point where they've had to acknowledge God's work in all that has occurred and that he is present with them, making things happen. And more than that, they're learning to be God's people again. They had not been living that way. They had been greatly influenced by those around them. And if they were to be a people set apart for God, then they needed to be renewed. They needed to refocus. They needed to be transformed from what they once were to what they need to be. And the catalyst for this is that they now have a hunger for God's word. The power for change in a person's life comes through hearing and reading God's word, but not just reading and hearing, but applying it also to their lives, dwelling in it, taking it into our lives and allowing it to transform us. And God's presence with these people has changed them. 
Now they want more. And we're told in Nehemiah 8.1 that all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. This was the desire of the people. It wasn't something that was implemented or put in place by Nehemiah or Ezra. They hadn't initiated this. The people gathered as one and they told Ezra to bring the books of Moses out and to read them to them. The laws which God had commanded Israel to obey. And they were all of one mind. And the desire was to not only hear God's word, but to understand it. Understanding is quite important in this chapter. It's mentioned six times throughout this chapter alone. And we're told that every man, woman and child who was of an age that could understand were present at this time. In 8.2 it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Think about what's going on here. The physical walls have been rebuilt. The city of Jerusalem is now able to defend themselves against any attackers that may come. They can protect themselves in that case. But the shame that was once upon them has now gone. It has been lifted. But that is only part of the work that is now occurring. The real work now begins. It's not just about the physical, it's about the spiritual as well. And if the Israelites are to live in a manner that honours and glorifies God, the God who delivered them, then they've got to get to know him and his will and his purpose for them. By knowing the word of God, they get to know him and then they know who they are as a people of God. God's word must be central to who they are and all they do. They knew that. And they were committed to it. They stood at the gate and they listened to Ezra from early in the morning until midday. But they didn't just listen. They were attentive. There was an expectation that God would speak to them and they were waiting for that. And we're told that Ezra stood on a wooden platform and that as he opened the book before the people, they stood as one. This shows deep respect for God's word. It goes hand in hand with their expectation that God is going to speak to them. What they are hearing is from God and so respect should be shown. So what happens when people approach God's word with hearts prepared to hear from him and believing the written word of God is his message to man? There can only be one response and that is to worship God. And we see here in verse 6, that's exactly what happens. The people agreed with the blessing or the prayer that Ezra made and they cried out their amens and then they bowed with their faces to the ground and they worshipped God. As I said earlier, the people came not just to listen to what Ezra read, but also to understand. And that's what's translated in 8.8. Um, 8. They read from the book and the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, it mightn't be quite clear there, but what's actually being said here in Ezra is that Ezra read from the books of Moses and the Levites who were standing with him, as mentioned in verse 6, gave sense to what was being read. It was them uh, that it gave the terms or explained things in a way that the people would understand. They explained it to them and what the writings actually meant. And then something happens. God's word convicts them. The hearts of these people have been prepared to hear God's word. They have come with one mind, one heart and one purpose to listen to God, to hear what he has to say. And we're told that they wept. As this word is read to them, they know they haven't been living in a manner that God commanded them to live through Moses. They haven't been acknowledging him at all. 
and they haven't been celebrating the feasts which God commanded them to celebrate. And they wept because they were convicted by God. They were convicted for their wrongdoing. And they realized that they turned their back on God. They were more focused on serving themselves, doing their own things. And now in the midst of all that God has done for them and hearing his word, they realize their mistake and it brings them to tears. Think about that. Before God's word was opened, read and explained to them, they were happy to continue in the way of life that they had. But when God's word was opened, read and understood, it brought conviction to them. But when conviction comes, if people will humble themselves before God and seek him, there is something else that happens. Out of the conviction, we see God's word brings joy. This is the incredible thing about our relationship with God and the relationship the Jews had with God. He doesn't leave us wallowing in our misery. He doesn't want us to suffer. When we acknowledge how wrong we are, how far we've moved away from Him, and we humble ourselves before Him and ask for His forgiveness, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And this is what happens to the Israelites here. God sees them humbling themselves. He sees their remorse and He receives them back. He accepts them and restores them to where they once were before. Repentance isn't about being beaten up because of our sin. Repentance is about restoring our relationship with God so we can experience true joy again. Nehemiah 8, 11 and 12 said, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, as this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to, to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Why is the day holy? Because the people returned to God. That is something worth celebrating. Not just for us, but do you realize all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents? That's what Luke 15.10 tells us. How much more will that rejoicing be over the top when a whole body of people return to God and repent? And that's what has happened. The grieving, mourning and weeping is appropriate. But when it is followed by repentance, then there is joy. For the one who repents, for the ones who are with them, and for the angelic host as well. When we hear God's word, when we understand it, then we realize God's word brings obedience. Think about what's going on here again. The people have seen God's hand and they've responded with one accord to hear and understand God's word. As they've understood his word, they have been convicted and then they repented and they experienced this great joy as a result. But his word to have a lasting effect on them, if his word is to have a lasting effect upon them, then they must obey his word. And Nehemiah 8.14 tells us that they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. This is the time period that they're in now. And the Israelite people had not dwelt in booths for over 500 years. In fact, some commentators say it was closer to a thousand years. This generation, the people that Nehemiah is now ministering to, have never honoured or glorified God in that manner. They have never celebrated this feast in their lifetime. And they were supposed to do it as a feast, which reminded them of their wandering in the wilderness, living in booths, totally dependent upon God for his gracious provision for them. It was by his hand and his hand alone that they were able to survive. 
And it was also during this feast that they were to thank God, not only for leading his people out of the wilderness and into the promised land, but also to thank him for all he had provided them in the previous season and to pray for the rain that would come in the next season between October and March. That was their wet season. But the major point was to remember God, all he had done for the people of Israel in bringing them out of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. And as time progressed, to continue to thank him for his goodness and provision. Now these booths, they weren't really comfortable. They were made so you could still see the starlight through the roof at night. And so you could imagine it would leak a little bit if it rained. They were quite small, so they were uncomfortable to live in. And so being obedient to God can come at a cost physically, but their obedience brought joy. And we were told that it's not just a little joy, but there was very great rejoicing. Very great rejoicing. So what's this mean for us? Well, I don't know about you, but I'd really love us to be a people who experience very great rejoicing. I'm not sure if we've ever actually done that. And the whole point of the Feast of the Tabernacles was to remind God, uh, remind the people of all that God had done and the fact that we're all on a journey together. They had not reached their home. God has made his promises and he will deliver. But it isn't in the here and now. Think through this with me. When we give our lives to Jesus, we also begin a journey. It's a journey through this life which will not be completed until we stand in his presence in glory. When we pass from this life to the next. And we'll either pass through the veil of death or we'll be caught up in the air with Jesus when he returns. Either way, we're on this journey. This world is not our home. If our desire is to know God and serve him, all the days of our lives, then we should have a desire and hunger for his word. And if we don't, we're going to have trouble. Because the reality is when people move away from loving, reading, obeying the word of God, they lose his blessing. And we should delight in reading God's word. Psalm 1, 1 to 3 said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Think on these words for a little while. The man who is blessed is the man who gets his counsel from God's word. And he delights in doing that. He's one who doesn't scoff at others, who meditates on God's word day and night. It means he's always bringing God's word to mind for himself, for his benefit and the relationship that he has with God. But then one who lives like that, has this overflow that comes out of him to others. And out of this man, a man committed to the ways and the call and will of God on his life, is a man who has his fruit in season, as it says here. This is a man who encourages, who builds up, who manifests those gifts which Holy Spirit grows in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that true for you? Or are we more like those people in Jerusalem before Nehemiah arrived who were influenced so much by the people around them that you couldn't even see a difference in them? You couldn't even see that they were a people of God. Have you experienced God? I don't know about you, but you have this experience with God when you first acknowledge Jesus and this euphoric feeling. That's how it was for me. 
And we have this experience with God and, and just as the Israelites did. But when they were confronted by that work that could only be God, they accepted it was God. And they had this experience and then they wanted to move on. Have you wanted to move on? Have you had this desire to know more of God? Some of you, even as I speak, may be experiencing God. He may be gently calling you to himself. And my desire is that you stop running. Stop denying your need of him. And give your life to him today. He waits to welcome you. That repentance, he stands with arms unstretched, desiring that you will give your life to him. And for those of us who've been on this journey for a while, have you moved from that first experience to a deeper experience with him? Do you have a desire to know him more? Do you read his word with an expectation that he will speak to you? Do you expect God's word? Do you respect God's word, sorry? And are you willing to do what he tells you? Are we being obedient to all of God's word, not just the bits that suit us? We're living in a very interesting time. And one of the things that have delighted me has been able to continue to do Bible studies with people and to share God's word with them, to encourage them to continue to read God's word. I and the other pastors would love to do that for you. Don't let this opportunity pass. You can hit that prayer button on the screen before you right now and someone will come and pray with you and you can ask them if the pastors can contact you and help you with Bible study. We would love to engage you in God's word and give you some tips and pointers on how to do that. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, again we thank you for the power of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that it is a living word. It is a word that continues to challenge us. It's a word that transforms us. If only we'll let it, Lord. And so I pray, Father, each and every person who hears my voice will submit fully to you, just like the Israelites did in this story with Nehemiah. They came to you, Lord. They wanted to hear your voice. They wanted to respond to you. And although they were convicted, Lord, there was great joy in the end because they repented once they received that conviction. Father, I pray that for each one of us that we will be convicted and that we will refresh our lives with you once more. Father, for those people who've believed in you for a long, long time, they know that they can continue to repent and come back to you. I pray they'll do that afresh today. Lord, there's going to be some who have never done that. And I pray by your hand, by your power, by Holy Spirit, Lord, you will call them to yourself. Father, in all things, give us a hunger and a desire for truth, a truth that can only be found in you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.